Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. While most of the sports world remains quiet because of the coronavirus pandemic, except for the NFL, which is going through its free agency period. We're going to talk some college hockey uh, with the, the uh, pandemic. We haven't really had the chance to talk uh, about the union hockey season, and we're going to do that with Mike McAdam. Also, I'll talk with Kevin Snedden, the former union coach who recently retired as Vermont's head coach. First, though, the inevitable happened on Monday with the New York State Public High School Athletic Association canceling the remaining state winter championships. The sports affected were boys and girls basketball, boys hockey, and boys and girls bowling. In Section 2, 10 area basketball teams, two hockey teams, and four bowling teams and a host of individual competitors were affected. On Tuesday, I spoke with the Executive Director, Dr. Robert Zayas, about changing the status of the Winter Sports Championships from postponed indefinitely to canceled and what the future holds for the spring sports seasons. Well, Dr. Zayas, appreciate you coming on the the Parting Shots podcast to talk about the uh, news that happened on Monday. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Well, let's talk about the fact that the Winter Sports Championships, the State Sports Championships, uh, the remaining ones were were canceled. How disappointing is this to have this happen, knowing you wait, try to wait as long as you could to, to get these going? Yeah, I mean, it, this is by far the most difficult decision that I've had to make as the executive director, um, or I should say that I've been a part of making as the executive director of our state high school athletic association. It's extremely disappointing, and the reason why I say it's so disappointing is because I realize that kids are ultimately being negatively impacted. Um, but I really take a, a, a lot of um, interest when I have to make decisions or I'm involved in decisions when the safety and, and health of our student-athletes is at stake. Especially for the seniors who are you know, probably looking forward to the one last chance to win a state championship. I mean, obviously, they can't get another year of eligibility for this. So how disappointed are you for the, for the seniors? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's my biggest concern is that there are seniors out there that they didn't get the opportunity to truly celebrate with their team on what they determined to be their last game. They'll never have that opportunity again, and that's what really is has made this decision even more difficult. How how long did you want to wait before making this decision? Was there any consideration of? maybe waiting till later in the spring and maybe having the state championships in the summertime? You know, that was discussed, but the problem with that is is the CDC came out with the recommendations last week that no mass gatherings of 50 people or more could be held for eight weeks. So that takes us out to mid-May. And then when you look at mid-May, hoping that we're back in school by then, hoping that spring sports are able to be held, Um, At that point, how realistic is it that we're going to be able to have these kids come back out and give them an ample amount of practice time and then even secure secure venues at that point um, and then have officials and then have people to work the events? I mean, all those things, logistically, it started becoming an issue where it just wasn't realistic and it wasn't fair to continue to have these student-athletes in the – in, you know, waiting 
hoping that there was going to be an opportunity to host these winter state championships when real, realistically it just wasn't possible. In reading the uh, Gazette story that appeared in uh, Tuesday's paper and online at DailyGazette.com, they said, it said that uh, you said we're quoted saying maybe the feedback from the membership was sort of mixed and that there was some interest in trying to continue to postpone. But what, what eventually led to the realization that you couldn't keep uh, the postpone indefinitely and it ended up changing to cancel? Yeah, I think everybody involved in this situation wanted to try to figure out a way, um, if there was such a way, to be able to host these winter state championship events. But I just think with the extended school time that kids are missing and there's really no no idea when the schools are going to be open back up. I mean, there's a lot of theories and a lot of speculation, but right now there's no definitive answer as to when schools are going to be opened up. But I think really the, the CDC recommendations for the mass gathering restrictions was a big determining factor. Um, I have had discussions with the Department of Health. Um, I've been in contact with other state officials, and really there's no indication as far as you know how quickly we're going to be able to get back into um, some sense of normalcy. And if and when we do in the very near future, we really believe that we should focus on trying to provide some uh, regular season activities for these spring sport athletes. How will the um, teams and the individuals, like they say, in the bowling, how will they, how will they be honored by the state? Because obviously there's, there's no quote-unquote state champion, and you really can't have, uh, I don't know if you can have co-champions, but how will the, uh, all these teams be honored that got, got this far? Yeah, what we're trying to do is work with our a trophy company that provides all the plaques and trophies and medals for all of our state championship events. Work with them to get a plaque design, and then our next the, the next section athletic council meeting will invite these teams in to officially recognize and honor them at that point in time. Um, the problem that we're having right now is our metal company is located in Westchester, and they're not even open right now. So we can't even officially work with them to start manufacturing of plaques and metals because um, of the ongoing crisis. So once they are officially open, then we'll be able to go ahead and start moving in a positive direction in regards to manufacturing metals and plaques. You mentioned spring sports. Obviously, a lot of the schools, at least here here in the capital region, are closed through the Easter break. Uh, so then we start to wonder if the spring sports will start happening. And April 27th is uh, sort of a deadline for the state to determine whether or not it's going to be able to have state championships. Uh, yeah, I know we're a month away from that, but... Do you think it's realistic we're going to have spring sports state chase, not only spring sports state championships, but a spring sports season? You know, one of the things I've really learned in this whole situation is not to attempt to predict what's going to take place next week or next month or even really tomorrow. Um, so I'm just trying to take the information as it's presented and as it's available. Um, with the spring sports season, though, my goal would be is that we focus on the regular season. And if we can go ahead and provide the, these spring sport athletes with some semblance of a regular season, um, if we can have senior nights, if a team can have a team dinner, if those student athletes can wear their school uniform and represent their school community, then I really think that that, that needs to be the goal and the focus right now is the regular season. If there is a possibility of having a postseason, then I think that would be an incredible accomplishment. But right now, I'm, I'm hoping that our focus can be regular season this spring 
and then um, and then if, if possible have a state championship. Yes, obviously you can't go too far in the June because uh, once you know, I get the middle of June, you're talking the regions at that point. I think a lot of student athletes will be more concerned about their academics than they would be about uh, playing for a state title. And I think that's what we got to be cognizant of and aware of and just really take the information as it's presented and then make the best decision that we can for, on behalf of the student-athletes when, when that information is available. What do you think down the road you'll learn from this whole situation, and can you will it help you prepare if something like this ever happens again? Yeah, I think I've certainly learned a lot. I mean, from a crisis communication standpoint, I believe our association has done a very good job of trying to keep our membership informed. Um, and I think the other thing that I've learned is that you can never fully prepare for everything. And I think that's difficult in this day and age where I know I, as the executive director, I try to do the best that I can to prepare for all types of scenarios and all types of situations. And after almost 20 years in this business, I thought I pretty much had the opportunity to work on all the issues that might, might arise from a year-to-year basis, but there's no way to prepare for something like this. And I think that's probably what I've learned out of this whole situation is you've got to be able to make decisions quickly. You've got to be able to strategize. You've got to collaboratively work with a great amount of people to make sure that we're making decisions in the best interest of kids. But in some cases, there's no way to prepare. There's no way to anticipate and I think that's probably been the, the greatest difficulty because in, in today's society, we're almost an immediate gratification society. We like to know when we wake up each morning that we're going to have Internet access, that we uh, can go to our favorite restaurant on a Friday evening with our family. We like to know. We like to be able to guarantee things. And now I think that's the most difficult thing about this entire situation with this entire crisis is there's no guarantees. There's no way to anticipate what's going to happen later today, much less next week. Dr. Robert Zayas, uh, Executive Director of the NYSPHSAA, thank you for coming on the Party Shots Podcast to talk about this. I know it's been a difficult time for you. You've been probably a lot of sleepless nights over this, but I appreciate you uh, spending a few minutes here on the Party Shots Podcast to talk about the uh, situation. I really appreciate it, and I also want to make sure that I recognize all of those dedicated school superintendents, principals, athletic directors, and teachers out there that are doing their very best as well, because um, I I feel like I've been really busy uh, over the last two weeks. I feel like my life has been chaotic, and if I can say that, then I can't imagine what it's been for a high school athletic director or principal or superintendent who... Um, I can just multiply my issues by a thousand and then hope to be able to go ahead and, and compare because uh, they have done a wonderful job of also addressing a lot of issues when it comes to the education of our young people, and uh, I just want to commend them for the work that they've done. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you saying that, Dr. Zayas, for all those, uh, like you said, all the uh, school supervisors and officials, it's been a crazy uh, few weeks and uh, it's, you know, I think everybody's handled the situation as best they could and you know, we're going to probably learn a lot from this and uh, down the road and uh, maybe down the road there'll be more preventative measures if, we, if, if this situation ever, ever arises again. Yeah, let's hope not, but I think we're better prepared for the next go-round if it does. Yes. Appreciate it, Dr. Zayas. Thank you very much. Thank you. Up next, 
I'll talk with the Gazette Union hockey beat writer, Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Hi, this is Ken Schott, Associate Sports Editor of the Daily Gazette and host of the Parting Shots podcast. The coronavirus has affected many American lives. To help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have the following tips. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, then throw the tissue in the trash. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces. Stay home when you are sick, except to get medical care. And finally, wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. For more information, go to www.cdc.gov COVID-19. Follow the Daily Gazette's continuing coverage of the coronavirus online at dailygazette.com and in the print edition. Back on the Party Shots podcast. Union Hockey had its worst season in over 20 years, going 8-25-4. The Dutchman failed to have a double-digit goal score for the first time since the 1998-99 season when they went 3-26-3. Union's season ended March 8th with a 2-1 double overtime loss to Yale in Game 3 of their ECAC Hockey Tournament first-round series. Joining me now to review the Union season is the Gazette's Mike McAdam. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast again uh, for the second straight week. How are things going? Oh, just fine. And Danny, we're kind of plugging along here. Everybody's, you know, adjusted to what's going on, and um, you know, all you can do is keep plugging away until something changes and we get back to some sense of normalcy. Who knows when that'll be? But uh, so all you can do is keep grinding. Yeah, you wrote a lot. Uh, wrote uh, about working from home. How has working from home been? Um, it's been fine. I mean, everything I need to do, it's just, I'm a little surprised by how busy I've been the last couple weeks. It seems like there's no lack of uh, material to write about, even though there's no games being played right now. And, uh, you know, I do have the luxury of living five minutes from the office. So I need to, if I need to pop in there to use the printer or whatever, um, you know, I can sneak in there very early in the morning when nobody's (laughs) around and, they're not bothering me, and I'm not bothering them. So, um, uh, so it's working out fine, and we got a couple things lined up for the rest of the week, and some things we're keeping an eye on. So, uh, there should be plenty of uh, ammunition uh, over the next couple of weeks to, you know, uh, you know, from a story standpoint. Before we get to talk about the the end of the Union hockey season, which was a couple of weeks ago, we never really got a chance to talk about that because of the right. whole coronavirus situation. You turned news columnist in the. Wednesday, DailyGazette.com, writing about Governor Andrew Andrew Cuomo becoming a rock star with his handling of the situation. I mean, just my opinion, I think he's done a great job with it, and then I think around the country people are saying the same thing. Yeah, and um, the funny thing is, like, over the course of his two-plus terms as governor, I have not exactly been a big fan of him at all. And for a variety of reasons we don't need to get into here, but I think he's handling this aspect of his his uh, job very well. And um, it was funny because, you know, the Gazette asked me, hey, do you feel like watching this and, and writing about it? I was like, okay. And I kind of approached it like a movie reviewer, which, you know, I think a lot of us in this business are always uh, to see themselves as closet, you know, uh, movie reviewers. So I kind of did it from that angle and, and put aside like any, 
personal feelings or, or opinions about what he's done prior to this and just kind of gauged, you know, how, how he was um, handling his very difficult assignment for everybody in a position like his. And uh, so I kind of wrote about that and made some observations. Um, I did get one email this morning, um, somebody saying that, you know, uh, they're not going to watch him anymore after tomorrow's or after yesterday's because of kind of like how the the stagecraft of it and and everything. And I'll respond to this reader. I appreciate it. It was a very nice uh, email. Um, But that kind of wasn't the point. You know, I understand everybody who who pulls these, tries to pull these things off is going to, you know, craft it, uh, you know, in a way that's visually appealing and, and puts them in a good light, and this is no different, but um, getting through all that, I, you know, I just felt like the, the way he's delivering the information um, is something that everybody needs right now, and people around the country, I, I mean, I, you go in the comment section on, on YouTube, and there's people, like, saying things like, I live in Kansas, <laughs> I look forward to watching this guy every day, so... Um, uh, and that's kind of like what I was hitting on a little bit without trying to get partisan at all. Yeah, and this would be give me a good chance to plug a special podcast I'll be doing um, later this weekend with uh, three Gazette uh, news uh, reporters on the uh, coronavirus coverage, and we'll talk about that uh, in that special edition of the Party Shots podcast later this week. So let's uh, get back to uh, Union Hockey and uh, Mac. Uh, like I said. March 8th uh, ended the season, a 2-1 double overtime loss to Yale in the first round of the ECAC hockey tournament, ending what probably, you know, their worst season in about 20 years almost, you know, finishing 8-5-4. Right. Uh, yeah, they had a chance to win that series. Uh, you know, they blew a lead in the game two and had a game, uh, a serious clinching goal taken away from them in the, early in the second overtime. Uh, this is reflecting the season. How, how tough of a season was this for the Dutchmen? I mean, we expected them to be have some difficulties. They've graduated a lot from the previous season, but I don't think anybody expected them to lose twenty five games. Yeah, well, expect is probably the wrong word. I mean, once it happened, you looked back and you were like, "Yeah, well, that makes sense." Because, um, and you know, we've talked about this a million times, and it goes back largely to the fact that this team just couldn't score. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out you're not going to win a lot of games when you can't do that one very crucial thing. Um, all other things, you know, being equal, if, if you can't score, you're not going to win. And yeah. I know it sounds oversimplifying things, but th- that really was the crux of it. They finished at 1.81 goals per game, which is not going to get it done. Um, but... We did expect them to to struggle and find their way and find their identity, and that certainly played out in a in a fairly predictable manner. What you didn't know, a hundred percent, was who would emerge among the young kids, the first year players, um, to have a big role on this team, and and that kind of shown through by you know by the end of the season, you were able to identify certain kids in certain areas that. They're going to be able to lean on next year. I'm really, you know, assuming, you know, we get back to, like, some sort of schedule that resembles what we're used to, uh, it's going to be a really interesting team to watch next year um, just based on some of the kids that, you know, what they accomplished this year. And also, um, you know, they had the luxury of getting, not guaranteed, but knowing ahead of time that they were going to get a lot of ice time, and they did. And that's going to be very valuable next year as long as they realize that, you know, head coach Rick Bennett really likes his 
first year class coming in next year, that those kids coming in, you know, without getting into a lot of detail, we'll do this later about who's coming in and what they're going to contribute. But um, he expects them to really put pressure and um, competition for ice time on the, the kids, the first-year kids this year who got used to playing a lot out of necessity. Next year, if they play a lot, it's going to be because they really, really earned it. Um, so I'm kind of very interested to see what this team looks like next year and what they can do. It's not going to be an eight-win team next year, that's for sure. Yeah, and despite the fact that this team has struggled to score goals, the fact that Gabriel's two freshmen, Gabriel Seeger and Dylan Anhorn, ended up making the uh, all-rookie team in the ECAC hockey, and of course the other four members were Harvard players. So that, that tells you something. There is some promise there. It really does because... Um, and the, the difference between recruiting class, typical recruiting classes between Harvard and Union is there's a pretty wide gap there. Harvard's used to getting, you know, NHL draft picks who stick around for one or two years. Um, Union doesn't get a lot of players like that. So for them to kind of muscle their way into two positions on that, that the six spots on that team and the other four were from Harvard, um, that, that kind of jumps off the page at, at me as showing that, you know, this, this first-year class has a lot of potential that is already being recognized. Um, you know, Gabriel Seeger had a real nice season. They, you know, they put him in as the playmaker on the top line, and, he you know, he did not shrink away from that responsibility. Dylan Anhorn's third-leading point man and, and was very high up in the rankings of the ECAC for freshman scoring, but... He did it from the blue line as a defenseman, which is very encouraging, while not shirking, you know, that the, the defensive side of things. Um, Rick Bennett really credited his 200-foot game and how he came in, and his work ethic is going to be something that um, he wants other kids to model themselves after. I mean, he basically took, treated the season like and acted like a pro from start to finish. Um, another kid that uh, Rick mentioned that he's looking forward to seeing and really kind of made a lot of progress over the course of the season was forward Chad Smedrud, um, six goals, four assists for 10 points. But the thing I noticed at the end of the season was how frequently he was out there on the specialty team, both of them, penalty, kill, and power play. And um, including in the Yale series, they had a, Yale had a, a delayed penalty and then another penalty called on Union. So they were getting a full two-minute five-on-three, and the first forward that the coaches threw out there was, was Smedru with two defensemen, so that, that really told me a lot, and, and and Yale did not score during the, the duration of that two-minute five-on-three, so that's a kid to look forward to, and Matt Allen, somebody who kind of came on toward the end of the season a little bit, and I got a, a friendly text from Rick when my uh, story was published when I mentioned that Dylan Anhorn was the only um, player, forget about freshmen, the only player on the whole roster who finished uh, in the positive end of the plus-minus at plus-three based on something I had written a couple weeks before. And then, you know, in my carelessness, I didn't go back to check the final stats. And he sent me a very friendly text saying, hey, Matt Allen was a plus-one. So went back and corrected the story um, very quickly. Um, so give a little shout to Matt Allen for, for getting on the positive side of the plus-minus. Um, so they got a lot of things to look forward to based on the fact that, you know, these kids, some of them really produce pretty well, but they also got a ton of ice time, so they have a lot more experience than a typical freshman would have, and they'll bring that into next season. 
How much will this uh, an improved team help Darian Hansen out? I mean, he played 36 games, oh. faced uh, 1,107 shots, ended up with 2.79 goals against average. Yeah, unfortunately, a 7.24 and four record, which not his fault, but uh, it was you know, obviously the team's inability. Not by any stretch. The team's inability. <laughs> Inability to score. In fact, they did not have a double-digit goal score for the first time since the uh, 1998-99 season. I mean, 9-10 save percentage, respectable. Three shutouts. So, we, I mean, Darian just did everything he could to make – he kept a lot of these games close. And he really made some spectacular game-saving saves, including breakaways and stuff in the Yale series. I know the one game, you know, it was a little misleading where he had a, a career-high uh, – 50 saves in that that double overtime, whatever, 53 saves, uh, where the heck is it? I got it right in front of me here. He had, um, uh, bear with me. <laughs> All right, Yale had 52 shots, and 50 so he had you Right, 50 saves. Um, a lot of them were not really high-quality grade-A chances. They were, you know, outside shots that he made easy saves on, so kind of like a stat-stuffing, a little bit of misleading, but he did make some game-savers, too. Um, it was kind of either one or the other. It was a game-saving, like, great save or, you know, not such an easy save. But So he had his moments where he kept them in games, and next year that's going to pay dividends for, for more wins um, if they can score more. Now, the uh, one thing Rick Bennett pointed out, I didn't actually have room to get into my story, you know, because they were down to two goalies with um, uh, Nieto being out for the whole season, and then Josh Craziano came in, you know, midway through the season, December, January, whatever that was. Um, people don't realize how many, how much work these goalies have to do extra in practice that you don't see behind the scenes. That's a lot of shots they're taking when you only have two goalies and you can't rotate another third guy in. You have to do a lot more work in practice too, which has a little bit of wear and tear on, on you know, what Hanson was trying to do this year. So I. Uh, you know, it's sort of like a throwout season for him. Um, outside of the fact that he he learned what it's like to be the man from start to finish, and and what it takes to to just kind of grind away under those circumstances, which which will be useful next year. I guess the only concern with Hansen is if he gets an offer from an NHL team. Of course, everything right now with the uh, NHL shutdown. Yeah. I mean, there are some players signing. Uh, contracts right now from college players, but right. I mean, what do you think the chances? I mean, I know he was in the Buffalo camp uh, development camp last year. Obviously, with yeah. the situation. Who knows what's going to happen uh, if they if they're going to even have development camps uh, this summer? Uh, but what, what do you right. think? Do you think his, you think he's back next year? I do firmly believe that he will be. Um, I almost feel like. Now, I hate to use the word benefit, but almost like he's shielded from some NHL attention just based on the record of the team. And, you know, you mentioned his save percentage, nine ten being respectable, but it wasn't spectacular. Um, so I, I think he's still on the radar, but um, if I'm an NHL team, which, of course, I'm not, I'm thinking, let's give this – I don't think there's really a lot of urgency to, to jump the gun and try to grab him now. Um, that's just a gut feeling. I don't know that from actually talking to anybody in the NHL. But, um, kinda, you know, I, I'm not sure how high on the radar he is right now. Um, and if somebody does come and offer him something, it would be hard to turn down. But I know he really uh, is looking forward to coming back next year, too. And he could really 
like next year could be the year where he opens some eyes if he gets a little more support and they win more games and that you know they're a little you know a little more prominent in the ECAC. Um, next year could be a very valuable year for him. Outside of uh, Hanson and outside of the freshmen, the returning players who has to step up next year and you know be a leader on his team and start producing offensively. Um, let's look down the list here. You know, one guy that, um, that I would kind of pinpoint is, um, Joseph Campolito, junior defenseman, who, coming into the season, I was really expecting him to have a big year, and I'm not, you know, I don't really think he did that. I I thought this was the year he was going to step up because he missed so much time in his, um, sophomore year and came back, like, right at the end of the, you know, I think he came back, like, for the first playoff game, you know, when they played in the uh, quarterfinals last year, and and you could tell he was just champing at the bit to get back out there because he had missed so much time, you know, a lot of the last season with injury. So I kind of was expecting him to make up for that lost time, and I don't know that he really did that. So I think he's one guy that they're really going to need to um, step up his game because he's, he's a really good player. And I'm not sure, like, I, I just didn't notice him a lot this year. I, I thought I was going to, you know, have games where I was like, wow, can't believe I can't believe he didn't score today. Or, like, you know, he, only, he had no goals, five assists, and I know he plays defense, but, you know, in union system, the defensemen, especially ones that can skate like him, are expected to contribute to the offense. So not to pick on him, but I, I just he was a guy that I really thought was, was going to have a big year this year, he really didn't. Um, other than that, um, you know, their junior class is pretty solid. From the sophomore class, um, I expect Ryan Sidorsky, another defenseman, to, and, and he's not really expected to be an offensive guy, and he, he kind of, he knows his role, and he does it, and he does it well. Um, I think he'll be an important player for them next year. Um, those are kind of, you know, excluding the freshman class. I would say those two guys. And then Parker Fook also um, could be somebody that could be very interesting for them next year because uh, he missed a lot of He missed a ton of time this year. And if he gets a full year under his belt, you know, we can be interesting to see what he can do from start to finish, if, you know, if he gets a full season. Um, we will we, – we shouldn't neglect to mention that Jack Adams will be back next year. He missed the whole year after blowing out his knee at Detroit Red Wings development camp, uh, you know, the previous summer before coming into the season. And he's he could be a monster for them next year. He really took his rehab and, and um, you know, just the workouts and everything to heart. And he could be a real beast at 6'6", 225. You know, he showed a very good nose for the net as a sophomore. You know, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's got a ton of range. Um, and he's got very good hockey sense and good hands, and, and he was expected to be like probably the leading scorer on this team this year and never got a chance to see that, but he did not waste this idle time at all. And it, So he, he could be like a very um, pain-in-the-ass kind of player for other teams in the ECAC next year. Yeah, it's probably, probably looking back on it, it's probably the best thing that he did not rush back oh, yeah. to try to help this team out. Cause yeah, no, that, that makes – I mean, it, it wouldn't – made a difference on this team and and if anything it would have it, w- it would have put him in a position prematurely to try to like do you know who knows he, he might have tried to do too much and 
you know, that's not helping anybody. And so that was, it was like, just sit this one out and come back um, in beast mode next year and, and, and take it from there. Yeah, and you mentioned Parker Fu. I think that's one guy I've been looking at. I know you say he missed half the season uh, with an injury. Um, I, I think a lot of the Union fans expected him to be like his brother Spencer, and Parker was putting some great numbers up in juniors, and it just hasn't translated yet. So I think you know next year, obviously a senior year, he's got one last chance to make a good impression. The Chicago Blackhawks draft pick, I think he's got right. he's to really step up and uh, you know, play not only play a 200-foot game, but Score some goals. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's misguided to compare him to his brother because they're different kind of players. And Parker, when he did come back, they figured out pretty quickly, let's use him with his back to the goal on the power play. And, and because he's bigger than Spencer and he's big and, and he, he'll absorb the abuse in front of the net on the power play. And he did have a couple good tip goals, which is what they were looking for out of him. So he, he's, his role was always going to be different than his brother's, so it's a little unfair to compare them. They're just kind of a little bit different skill set and different size. I mean, Parker's bigger um, and very useful in the middle on the power play. So you're gonna, that's where you're going to see him a lot next year, a lot more, because his start of this season was so delayed and it took him a while to get back in the groove of things. And toward the end, you know, he, he started to show glimpses of the player that, you know, these guys want him to be. And again, like Jack Adams or Campolito, if you get a full season out of them, um, you know, you know, we can see we have a better view of what he can contribute to the team. So uh, next year, but you're right. I mean, he's somebody that is. I think there's going to be a little bit of spotlight on next year to be productive. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about the recruits uh, when they're announced uh, this summer. Of course, hopefully, it will be a 2020-2021 season. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So, Mike, you stay safe at home. Uh, uh, take care you of too. yourself, and I will, and uh, we'll chat some more Union Hockey soon. All right, everybody stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Coming up, I'll speak with former Union and Vermont hockey head coach Kevin Snedden. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey Coach Rick Bennett. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest has been involved in college hockey for five decades. He won a national championship with Harvard in 1989. He started his coaching career at Union as an assistant under Bruce Delenthal in 1993. He moved up to that coaching position in 1998 and in 2003 moved on to Vermont. Earlier this month, he stepped down from that position at Vermont. Here's my conversation with Kevin Snedden. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining me on the uh, podcast. Uh, how are things up in uh, Vermont? Well, we're, I think we're all in it together, Kenny. I know New York is obviously going through a terrible time, and my thoughts are with all of uh, all the New Yorkers and, and dealing with this crazy uh, crazy illness and, and so forth and, and everything, you know, the impact of everything else, uh, obviously, on on everybody is uh, not to deal with, and the Vermonters are us. Vermonters are are uh, you know we're we're dealing with it, but it's it's starting to get worse here and and becoming a, a big reality. But um, again, hopefully the country bands together and we get through this and become stronger for it. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk a little hockey here, Kevin. A couple weeks ago, uh, you uh, stepped down, uh, retired uh, after uh, a long run at Vermont. Uh, what led to this decision? Well, Ken, it's uh, a couple different things uh, transpired over the, the last, you know, probably three years. Um, I don't mind sharing now. I didn't really want to make it too public when uh, when I was coaching, but um, I've had some health issues regarding uh, my spine and um, probably should have had surgery about three years ago and it just it's gotten to a point where um, you know I just felt it was time to, to take care of that and combine that with you know things weren't, weren't really going well here um, in all honesty and I accept full responsibility for that and I just felt that uh, in the January time frame I just kind of felt like you know this is the right time for for me to go in a different direction and for the program to go in a different direction. I didn't want to wait until the end of the year and make it, make it this, you know, big production. It, you know, for me it was, hey, let's, uh, I wanted to show my gratitude, um, in all honesty, not only at Vermont, but at Union for, for all the wonderful young men that I got to coach, uh, all the tremendous assistant coaches and staff members that I got to, got to work with. Uh, the media, of course, can you know the, of course, the, you got the to media guys, <laughs> and uh, you know I, I really do consider myself absolutely blessed uh, to have to have been in college hockey as a player, as an assistant coach, and a head coach for over thirty years. Um, the the relationships that I've built, uh, the network, the wonderful people that I've um, been associated with for so many years. Um, I just I wanted it to be something that was a positive for everybody, and it just felt like it was the right time to allow Jeff Shulman, the athletic director, the opportunity to start the search. Uh, obviously, things have probably taken a little bit of a crazy turn now, just um, with everything else we're dealing with on campuses. But you know, to try to give give uh, give them a head start at trying to be the first uh, first program looking for a head coach. Um, Allowed me to, uh, you know, to plan uh, some medical procedures that I, I could do after the season, and and really just kind of go through the last couple months in a real positive way. And, and it certainly was a tough season, but it ended on a high note. Uh, and, and my players and I had a had a really good experience at the end. And you got to imagine your thrill of victory as well, career victory. I mean, how thrilling was that? It was fun. I, I didn't really know that our players were really in tune with that, you know, and it, it's not something I ever would talk about. And and quite honestly, it, I, I think I've, I've said it when 200 happened or 250, is it, all it is is a reflection of, you know, time to take a pause and say, wow, look at, look at all the great guys that played for us. Um, it, it really isn't ever about, you know, you as an individual coach. It's, it's about the players and the staff that, that uh, they get those those wins. Um, it it was weighing on the guys, and I didn't know that. And uh, it, it sure was nice on senior weekend for just to see the enjoyment out of my my players and handing me a you know two pucks, one for three hundred and one for two fifty at UVM, and just to to see the joy in their face on the Friday night. Um, you know, it was it was special for me. You know, just to see that it meant it meant. I can say it doesn't mean a lot to me, but. I can't say that it didn't mean a lot to them, and because of that, I was I was uh, super super thrilled to be a part of it. And then, 
you know, it just it played out so well. The next night, uh, Kenny, you know, I'm, I'm uh, we're getting ready for the senior event and all that. And yeah, it's my it's my last game at Gutterson, but I, um, you know, I'm thinking about the seniors and the parents and all this other stuff. And you know, I'm, I'm high fiving the guys, getting ready to go out for the game, and, and I turn around and uh, I've got you know a ton of former players from Vermont from all different years lined up you know, kind of high-fiving the guys and, and waiting for me as I came down the tunnel. And obviously a lot of uh, a lot of tears, a lot of emotions coming out at that point just to see uh, see so many great young men that traveled to, to be there for my last home game. Um, couldn't have scripted it any better. And then obviously we went out and beat, beat uh, Northeastern for a second time in, in two nights. And, and for the seniors to go out on a good note, that was, uh, that was tremendous. Yeah. I know I was there at the start of your coaching career, Kevin, uh, back in 1993. You and uh, David Green uh, joined Bruce Dubenthal that season. This was your first. That was your first experience going into the coaching union. Your pro career sort of cut short because of the back injury. Yep. Did, did you ever expect when you started as an assistant that here we are in 2020 talking? Uh, your head coaching career between Union and Vermont. Did you I mean? Did you ever ex- ex- expect it to last this long? No, God's honest truth. I uh, I thought I was going to coach at Union for two or three years. You know, just to to kind of get hockey out of the system a little bit. And I and I quickly, I don't want to say it became addicted, but was just amazed at at um, at what you get out of coaching. You know, to see. Uh, first year player come in and watch the growth from you know the first year to their senior year when you shake their hands at graduation and to just know that as coaches we we have an impact you know and that's a that's a pretty special thing to be able to say um, you know in a profession you know that you have an impact on on people and, and that happens in all walks of life but for me it wasn't about a game anymore it was about trying to help you know, young men grow, and, and not just in hockey, but in life, and, and prep them for the big things that come along in, in, in their in their lives later on. So um, that's obviously didn't uh, didn't stay in the profession this long to become wealthy. <laughs> you know, you uh, you do it because of love and, and passion for for what you're doing. And uh, like I said, I hate to be repetitive, but I'm so blessed to have had. A long career, you know, and I remember taking that real quick story. I remember taking the job here at Vermont and thinking, wow, I'm only the third coach in the history of the program, you know, uh, tenured coach in the history of the program. And my, and the previous two guys were there for 19 years. I'm like, there's no way I would be here for that long. And I didn't quite get to 19, but 17 is still a good run and uh, it went by pretty fast. So I, that shows you that it was, even in tough seasons, uh, certainly an enjoyable process. Got a question here on Facebook Live, Kevin, from uh, Mike Hart. He's a buddy of mine down in Philadelphia. First, he says, congrats to you for establishing such a terrific uh, program at Vermont for student-athletes. And as he's asking, as you look back on your career, what qualities and attributes does you, you do you feel uh, makes a, success, a successful college student-athlete for your program? Oh, well, thanks. For, first, thank you for the kind words. Um, really appreciate that. Um, you know, we always talk about it in recruiting. You know, you, you obviously have to have the necessary skills, uh, the, ne- the necessary hockey sense. I think is a big, big part of it. But 
but you have to have that drive, you know, that, that heart and that drive and to be a, a great person that wants to give back, you know, not only to the, uh, to the guys in the locker room or the campus community, but the local community. I really feel that's a big part of, of being a successful student athlete nowadays is, is always trying to be excellent in everything you do, whether it's in the classroom, in the weight room, giving back to the community or on the ice. If you can, if you can approach things that way, that um, how you do one thing is how you do all things, you'll be pretty successful. All right, thanks for the question, Mike. Uh, getting back to Union, obviously it was sort of a turbulent time there. You have Bruce Delenthal ends up uh, uh, leaving after the 95-96 season. In comes Stan Moore, and then the 96-97 season, the team that does well gets to the quarterfinals against RPI. Then the following year, it's a step back, and then Stan suddenly leaves, and then you're suddenly the uh, head coach of the team. What, what, what was that that transition like? <laughs> Well, it's crazy times, to be honest with you. I mean, first, uh, you mentioned two guys that uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank them. You know, Bruce Delvinthal, uh believed in me, uh, gave me my first opportunity, and, and it was, uh, you know, you know was, as you know, Ken, those were difficult times at, at Union. Um, you know, I, I liked Roger Hall, respected Roger Hall as the president, uh, but when they moved from D3 to D1, there wasn't a lot, not a lot changed. You know, the mindset was we, we can do this by not having to change a lot. And, you know, I was, that was tough to, tough to really move the program forward. I think, um, so I, I appreciated Bruce for giving me that chance. Uh, I still remain very close with him. Uh, and then Stan, you know, came in and kind of gave a, a, a really good boost of energy, um, but quickly kind of became a little bit, probably a little bit frustrated with, um, with, you know, maybe not getting the things that, uh, that he felt were really important to, to get the program to, to have success on a consistent basis. And I think that kind of contributed to the, uh, to the rather sudden departure. Um, and for me, it was, if I wanted to stay in hockey, I was the next head coach at union and a great opportunity. Dick Sakala, the, the former athletic director at Union, uh, again believed in me, gave me the opportunity to, you know, to take the reins of the program, and um, I was very fortunate at the time. And it was, Union was a tremendous experience for me. Uh, the alumni network at, at Union, I say to this day, is is outstanding. Uh, still maintain contact with a lot of the, not only my players but just the alums that even played for you know, played for other coaches at Union. Uh, it's a special group, and the Garnet Blades has just, you know, done so much for, for Rick and, and, you know, Nate before him, and it just, it's really grown. And um, my time at Union was, was challenging for sure, but rewarding in every way possible, and, and mainly because of the people that were around the program. I know that first year, 98-99, 3-26-3, you're thinking, you got to be thinking, what, what's going on here? But slowly... The next two years, you made the playoffs, didn't make it uh, in 2001, 2002, but in 2002, 2003, home ice for the first time. Uh, unfortunately, a sweep uh, by RPI. But uh, it's, Do you remember that game, Kenny, how crazy that was, those two I, games? I, I, that, I, still, that... I, still, I still, to this day, in game two, can still picture Ben Barr going down the right wing and Chris Mayotte twice trying to chase a loose puck. And the second time, he ends up scoring two short-handed goals. And the second time... When Ben did that, that, that again, and Chris is coming out, and, he's, and I'm, I'm screaming in the press box, he's doing it again! 
I know. It was deja vu, wasn't it? It was like the exact same play twice. And uh, I felt so bad for Chris, who obviously had a great career and is doing a great, talk about a great young assistant coach right now. I mean, he's he's left his mark in a very positive way everywhere he's gone. And uh, I just remember how gracious he was in uh, in the media session afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I I felt so bad for him. But, uh, you know, those were... That was a crazy, uh, crazy game for sure. But um, it was nice to get the home ice playoffs. I think it gave the fans a little taste of success. And, and obviously, uh, you know, um, you know, Nate came in and, and did a tremendous job there, getting the program to new heights. And, and Rick has continued it on. And it's um, it, it was so rewarding for me. I was on the NCAA committee, as you know, saw each other there, and uh, you know, to be on, I was standing on the ice watching the celebration to see, you know, Union College, who would have ever thought in a million years that they'd be hoisting the uh, the national championship trophy. It was just, uh, it was so much fun for me to, to watch. And then, you know, of course, you, know, you guys, the Union and Vermont faced off in the East semifinal down in uh, Bridgeport, and Union ended up winning that game. And it, I'll, I'll always remember this uh, in the handshake line, every Union player, yeah, they were. This is like almost ten years after, ten years after you, over ten years after you left. They were giving you, thanking you for, you know, getting the program going. And, that, and that, to me, that was remarkable. What that took place on the ice there, uh, you know, a bunch of players who had really no connection to you, thank you for, for you for um, starting the uh, the process of getting the program to where it was. Yeah, I mean that was that was unexpected, and I think it says a lot about uh, you know Rick. As a coach, you know, celebrating the history of of the of Union College hockey, you know, it's and I try to do the same thing here in Vermont. You know, you're only as good as the guys who who got you there in terms of setting the roots and the foundation. And listen, Nate and, and Rick took it to, to such new levels that it, you know uh, I was a, a small part of it all. But um, just to, to have players respect the um, the history of the program just shows me that, you know, Rick and, and I'm sure Nate was the same way, just teaching their student-athletes the, the right things, you know, and, and uh, you're absolutely right. It was I wasn't expecting that at all and, you know, no connection to, to any of those players, but they, um, they, they were very proud of, of not only what they were accomplishing at the time, but proud of their, their history, and that, that says a lot. And I should say on a personal note for me, I know you did something wonderful for me when my son Stephen was born back in 2000. You had the players sign a poster, uh, and, and that poster's still hanging up in my basement down. In, in, in oh, that's home. awesome. That's awesome. You know, Kenny, I, the one thing that, uh, you know, this year in particular, like, I, you know, I was in a tough spot, you know, kind of, uh, I'll call it what it is. You know, you're kind of a lame duck. And I, I said, you know what, going into the year, I knew it was going to be a little bit challenging. We lost uh, we lost a really good defenseman late in the summer to do an NHL contract, and we we lost some recruits, um, you know, that that opted out and went to different schools that would have made made a big impact. But I I, I loved who I had in uh, in the locker room as people, and I said, you know what, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this, and I'm going to also really try to celebrate and uh, and let people know. Um, what they mean to me and, and, you know, and what they've done for me and my, and my coaching career. I think coaches sometimes forget that, that it takes an awful lot of people to run a program. And it, it's from anything from, you know, uh, people that uh, cover you like you do and have, 
proudly done for so many years for, for Union and RPI, um, to, to the arena guys, to you name it. There's so much that goes into it. And I, I took this year to, to really try to soak that all in. And, and uh, as a result, even though we had a really tough year, I was able to enjoy it. It's one of the most pleasurable uh, years of coaching uh, that I've had, mainly because of the people that were around me. Would you say the highlight of your coaching career was 2009, getting the Frozen Four? Yeah, that was a that was a special year. I mean, obviously we had a just such a uh, a talented team, and and um, you know some individual players that you know the Victor Stahlbergs of the world that just uh, had such an amazing year. Um, just great guys, you know, and, and it, there was no ego, you know, at all located anywhere on our team. Dean Strong was our captain; he wouldn't let it happen. And uh, that, that certainly was an enjoyable year. I, we've had others that, you know, may not have resulted in pros and fours. I remember the first time playing in the Garden, um, you know, UNH and Boston College went to triple overtime in the first game. And I, I look at, uh, you look back at the things you remember. I remember, like, watching BU kind of panicking. You know, okay, they, they stretched about 15 different times to get ready for the game. And our guys were... We had Brian Kane working with us at that point. We were just relaxed, and you know, I don't want to say we were just happy to be there, but we were in a confident state. And and you know what? If the game starts at 10 p.m., so be it. Yeah. And uh, you know, we knocked off BU that night. Um, got back at the hotel, I think around 2:33 a.m. And uh, obviously had to play uh, an early. I think it was a, a four o'clock start the next day against BC, and our kids were just zombies. But. Um, you know, for our program to get there, uh, you know, for the first time. So there, there's there's many different things that I look back at, um, Ken, as, as unbelievable moments. Uh, you know, seeing Jamie Cyphers, um, you know, be, be recognized as a you know, finalist for the Humanitarian Award. Like, there, there's just, there's so many that um, I'm, I was lucky to be a part of. Of course, uh, you end up losing to BU in the semifinal of the Frozen Four, but I think the most memorable game out of that tournament was the double overtime win over Air Force where it took like <laughs> what, 20 minutes for them to figure out that the puck went through the net? Uh, it, it felt like two hours and 20 minutes for a coach. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy because you, um, you know, and the irony of it all, you know, that, that uh, you look back and sometimes history repeats itself, but, you know, you look at... Um, you know, Mike Gilligan was a coach of Vermont when uh, Colorado Cap College scored in the semifinals on a hand pass in overtime, but there was no video replay. Mm-hmm. And in Bridgeport, you know, we were, we, we were pretty sure on the bench what we saw was kind of really strange. But you're at the mercy of, at that point, they weren't connected with, with ESPN. So the rules were just whatever the refs see in that, in that penalty box, the fans were all cheering. They, they were, you know, Barry Melrose, you know, whoever was announcing the game was, uh, you know, that's a clear goal, you know, but we're still at the mercy of what is the video replay system going to show in the penalty box. And it took so long for them to, to make sure, and, and thankfully it went our way, and uh, a great moment for for us. I'll, I'll never forget that because it's so unusual the, the it went on, the play also went on, Kenny, for quite some time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, so Air Force had a couple scoring chances. Like, I can't even imagine if they had scored and then they went back in time and looked at it. 
thankfully it worked out, you know, that it didn't happen that way. But, you know, you, you, you know, 10, min, 10 minutes uh, go by or whatever it was. And, and, okay, yeah, you guys score. You're going to the Frozen Four. Like, where do you go to celebrate? Yeah, really. And our <laughs> players all went to our fans. And that was, I'll never forget that. Like, they just automatically rushed over to the fans. And, you know, we had a good, good showing in Bridgeport. And it was great for, for them to see that. Once you get yourself healthy, what's uh, the future hold for you? You know, I'm just trying to map that out. You know, uh, uh, t- tough times right now. Obviously, the hospitals and, and doctors are uh, rightfully preoccupied with those that need care far more than I do right now. So everything's kind of pushed off. And uh, who knows when I'll end up having it. But um, I've got a good doctor, and, I, you know, it's not something that will keep me keep me laid up for very long. It's just something that I really, I really have to do. Um, but I, you know, I, I want to stay in, I want to stay in hockey. It could be on the business side. It could be on the consulting side. It could be on the scouting side. Um, it's just not going to be behind the bench. And, uh, and I've come to grips with that. I'll, I'll miss it. I know it's easier said than done right now. I know when, you know, September rolls around and I'm not gearing up for, or August for that matter, you know, you're not gearing up to, to play in your practices. It's going to feel like a void, but um, uh, I plan to stay in, in Vermont if possible. Um, my daughter Gabby's getting ready to go to high school, believe it or not, so <laughs> she's going to go to Rice Prep, and I, I really obviously want to be here to support her as, as best I can. So trying to map it all out right now. I've got a little bit of downtime to, to figure it all out, but... Uh, You'll certainly, hopefully, see me in the in the in the sport still. Well, Kevin, I appreciate uh, spending some time here. It's great catching up with you. I know, God, it's been it'll be what almost thirty years in a couple of years that we've known each other. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, you, you've been fantastic, Kenny. I, I not only appreciate what you do for college hockey, for Union, RPI, the Capital District, college hockey in general, but certainly what you what you did for me and maintaining a friendship along the way it's not always easy to do with uh with the media and uh you've always balanced that extremely well so thank you my friend well, i appreciate it, my friend uh appreciate you coming on and hopefully we'll talk soon get better well get well soon and uh we'll catch up and if you're get down this way let me know okay thanks very much and uh parting shout out to the dutchman right. go dutchies all right <laughs> thanks kevin that's kevin Sen. we'll be back, back up to wrap up the podcast in just a moment Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Jim Schiltz. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I will have a special edition of the Parting Shots podcast focusing on the coronavirus pandemic and its effects on the capital region. I will talk with Gazette staff writers Pete DeMola and Steve Williams and Gazette business editor John Cropley. That podcast will be posted Saturday, so please give it a listen. Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank New York State Public High School Athletic Association Executive Director Dr. Robert Zayas, Gazette staff writer Mike McAdam, and former Union and Vermont hockey head coach Kevin Snedden for coming on the show. 
The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.